Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, don't think you could ever go vegan? That's how many folks felt just a few years ago. But now, more and more people are gulping oat milk and munching on plant-based meat. That's because these days, going vegan is easier and tastier than ever. A new booming variety of plant-based options is now available at grocery stores, restaurants, and even fast food chains. Bloggers, celebrities, and chefs are reinventing their menus and recipes to make veggies the delicious stars of the meal. And the plant-based movement is no longer just for the privileged. Increasingly, affordable products have helped attract people with modest incomes. What's more, ordinary Americans are also touting other reasons to go plant-based. Health, animal welfare, and sustainability. Later in the show, 2022 is already dishing up new food and wine trends, with many diners looking for healthier options. Will you soon be having a glass of natural wine with your vegan lobster roll? Our food and wine gurus weigh in. But first, joining me now, Brian Timko, CEO of Life Alive Cafes, organic plant-based cafes in the Boston area, which have been open since the early 2000s. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Callie. Thanks. Glad to have you. Also with me, Alicia Romano, a registered dietitian at Tufts Medical Center, author, nutrition consultant, and fitness instructor. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Callie. How are you? I am doing well. I want to start this way with both of you and have you each define plant-based. As we've you've just heard, I used a number of different ways, but I'd like to hear from each of you how you define plant-based. And I'll start with you, Alicia. Great. Thank you, Callie. So plant-based, you know, I think it really lacks a universal definition, um, which is, it can be positive in a sense, because we can interpret it as it fits for us as an individual. But the way that I typically define it when I work with patients and individuals is to say, plant-based diets are those that are primarily made up of plants. It does not necessarily mean you have to exclude animal products. The idea is that you're crowding out the majority of your plate by plant-oriented foods, meaning fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, and at times have the option to leave space for a little fish or poultry and so forth. Um, So one important distinguishment that I typically will um, review with patients and um, individuals is that plant-based does not necessarily have to mean vegan or have to have the connotation of being completely vegetarian, for, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian, how do you define plant-based? Well, at Life Alive, the way we think about plant-based is it's entirely about vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds and, and grains and how we put that together for our meals to provide nourishment for our guests. But at the same time, in the, in the case of this sort of world of imitation meat, um, you know, we've all seen a lot of excitement about it. You know, we've heard about and probably tasted the Impossible Burger, you know, and, and those things are, are great that they're out there. I would say we're excited that people are trying these alternatives. Um, they're probably marginally better for the planet. The jury is certainly still out as to what, if any, health benefits there might be in these things. You know, don't forget those are some pretty highly processed foods. 
you know, at Life Alive, we see fewer companies focused really on what we're doing, which is all about whole foods um, with a lowercase w and a lowercase f when I say whole foods. Um, and it's really offering these creative ways to make craveable food from simple and fresh organic vegetables. Uh, both of you have given us a lot to unpack. Let me just put this on the table, that the one of the biggest trends, according to those folks that whose job it is to watch um, for 2022, will be plant-based everything. So some of that will include those products that you don't have time for, Brian, but it also means that people are really focusing on vegetables in a way they really haven't before. And more importantly, the thing that I think is really interesting is that there is a, an excitement about it across the board, even for people who never thought of themselves as people who would consider this. So let's just take a listen to these vegan and plant-based chefs and influencers talk about why plant-based is so exciting for them. When you're eating plant-based, you will definitely have more energy. You will definitely sleep better. You're definitely going to have improved complexion. Your mood is going to change completely. Real plants, real fruits, real grains, real seeds, real nuts. It's not expensive. Athletic performance can be fueled by a vegan diet. I'm vegan for my health reasons. I've had family members die of heart attacks from eating all these meats at like 38. I just really wanted to prevent that. It can help the animals, our planet. When I didn't eat meat, not only did I not feel that heavy feeling, but I also felt happier. So one of the things that I'm interested in, given the excitement that you just heard there from folks for all kinds of reasons, is what have you witnessed as people who have been uh, in this business of trying to talk to people, as you have, Alicia, about their diet versus a lifestyle? And then, um, Brian, as you have been in the business of Whole Foods, no capital letters, as you said, um, how have you seen it change to sort of reach this or reaching this crescendo of excitement? Alicia, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I want to start by saying that, you know, number one, I'm excited that plants are finally getting this, like, spotlight, right? That people are excited about eating plant-based foods. Um, and what I find interesting as a dietitian, because I've been in the field for a long time, this really hasn't changed. Like our recommendations as providers have always been crowd your plates out with plant-based foods for a number of reasons. I mean, they're so rich in different antioxidants, anti-inflammatory properties. They're naturally low in fats and cholesterol. They have a number of disease preventing properties that can just really support overall health. And that message has not changed over time. What has changed is the way that it is being kind of, you know, attracted by media and I don't want to say gimmicks, but it's now gotten this like halo, right? Similar to other diet trends and whatnot, which is not an inherently bad thing, right? Because again, it's something that as uh, practic practitioners, we've been really encouraging for a long time. Um, so in my practice, you know, what I tend to find is that I will definitely see patients with an increased interest, more questions about how do I transition to plant-based. And what I think is the most important thing is that we try to steer away from making this sound like it's a diet trend, right? Whereas like, we're going on this restrictive diet or cutting away all these foods. And more importantly, talk about how can we gradually adapt this as a lifestyle practice. So for some people that might mean, hey, I'm not going to go cold turkey and cut out every bit of meat or animal products I eat, but maybe I'm going to start by slowly transitioning my plate where maybe half of it used to be a meat product. And now I'm going to go to a third of it being a meat and then a quarter of it being a meat. And then maybe I'll try to incorporate a plant-based meat, a plant-based only meal 
meeting completely meat free once a week or so forth. I think that's a really important thing for any consumer to uh, kind of try to grab onto and, and recognize as they're interested in making this transition as well. Well, you're really not going to like Beyonce then. <laughs> here's a clip. Here's a clip from her documentary Homecoming in which she talks about her restrictive plant-based diet in preparation for her 2018 headlining Coachella performance. In order for me to meet my goal, I'm limiting myself to no bread, no carbs, no sugar, no dairy, no meat, no fish, no alcohol. And I'm hungry. That's what you don't want, <laughs> Alicia, no, right? No, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, that's also just a, a completely other extreme, right? I mean, she's getting into cutting out breads and things like that, which would not be restricted on a plant-based diet. And I mean, I could go on for days about diet culture and detriments of chronic dieting, but that's not what this segment is about. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Beyonce is a celebrity and she has, you know, a full team behind her that's supporting her to do her thing. So... <laughs> Just like Tom Brady has a crazy diet where he, you know, eats, eats foods and has a chef, like no individual should be expected to live a life like those, those individuals. I want so. to give you a chance to respond to that. Now, over to you, Brian. What have you seen change or have you? Because you've been in the biz for a while now. And so the people who've come to you come to get what you were already offering. But now with the excitement about this, have you seen the change in your clientele? Yeah, you know, Life Alive has been around since 2004, actually. So we're going on 17 years now. We have five cafes. Um, but um, it, it's really a significant long-term change that we're seeing. And and we love it. And it's been you know, a little bit at first, and it's sort of snowballed and gotten bigger and bigger and, and bigger over time. One of the things we hear from our guests uh, all the time is that uh, our, our food, just it it lifts me up is what I hear. I have a lot more energy when I leave than when I came. So you know, at the same time, I, you know, only a small percentage of people in America actually identify themselves as vegan. I think the number is under five percent, and the number of people who identify themselves as vegetarian is is under ten percent. But what we're learning is that about forty percent of Americans now say that they want to eat more plants. So clearly there's a shift towards eating less meat. And I think these people are starting to identify themselves as what we would call flexitarians, where they're adding more fruits and more vegetables to their diet as the base of what they do. Do you uh, have any stories to tell of people who've arrived in your one of your cafes saying, okay, I've decided I'm going to focus on more plant-based foods in my diet, and this is where I'm going to start, and I've been excited to come here and, and begin that journey. Yeah, you know, one of the things I love doing is I love going to our cafes, and I love working at the register, and I love to go there during lunch. For me, it's great because in the course of an hour, I could get myself a good 50 or so one-minute focus groups with guests. And I, I had one uh, fairly recently who came in and uh, looked a little bit lost, and I started engaging with him, and, and he said, so this is the place that doesn't have chicken, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, was, it was a great laugh for me as well. And I said, yeah, you got it. We don't have any problems with chicken, obviously. Uh, but, but let me talk to you about how, you know, how would you get started here? You know, what kinds of things do you like? 
Uh, what kind of things do you not like? And how are you feeling today? So uh, it, it's funny when I when I hear that, but I've I've been seeing more and more of that uh, over time as I think people are becoming more and more educated uh, about diet and uh, and what it means and. I think what we're really hearing is that um, people are starting to connect that, hey, what I eat and what and how I move really do have an influence on how we feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a couple things there. First of all, you're credited, so you can pat yourself on the back, with having this food taste good. Because I think both of you would agree that for a lot of people, the thought of plant-based just sounded not tasty. <laughs> you know, it was just like, okay, I, I just can't, I, I, I just going to miss something with regard to taste and interest. And I think that what's driving um, the current excitement about it is that, wow, you know, it's not only is it colorful, as you've described, uh, what you do with your dishes, but it tastes good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. It does. And, you know, so many of us, I think in, in this country, I think the way we we grew up, it was this idea of a meal being a big piece of protein in one third of my plate, some sort of starch in the other third of my plate, and some sort of vegetable in the last piece of of my uh, of my plate. So uh, I think you know having that as our our background of how we were trained to eat, uh, you know, changing over time for for sure here. Okay, um, Alicia, what about, have you been hearing from people that you work with, they've been surprised that it tastes good and so they can stick with it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think this is a kind of comes from a few different angles, right? Because any food really can taste good or bad based on how you cook it, right? So I think a lot of it comes down to educating individuals on ways to prepare foods that are flavorful. Like I'll always say, I have a number of patients that are like, I want to go plant-based, but I hate vegetables. I'm like, okay, well, like, how can we start? And my, my first line is always like, have you ever tried a roasted vegetable? Mm. I, ten of, eight out of 10 of the times, try a roasted vegetable and you're going to love it, right? It's going to be delicious, caramelized, crispy, whatever. And so just trying to educate people how to swap in ingredients and how to utilize, you know, the base of their favorite recipe, for example, or the cultural foods that they love or whatever it may be using the same seasonings on whatever plant-based ingredients they're throwing in there as well too, can be, can be a really powerful way to keep things tasting good. So great example, you know, you're making a chili that you normally use with Turkey. Maybe we use all the same seasoning ones there. We cut out half the meat, we add in double the beans. You still get the great flavor, right? Maybe you're making something else, um, a sheet pan meal or something and you're seasoning, you're used to seasoning your chicken breast or your shrimp or whatever it is with this certain blend, throw it on your veggies in the same way. And so there's really not, if you're educating patients correctly and providing them with the tools in order to, to flavor their foods well, yes, they're going to say it tastes really good. So Alicia, you work primarily with patients that have cancer or some sort of gastrointestinal conditions. So yeah. is it, there are those, and I think Brian may have said it uh, a few minutes ago, as food as medicine, you know, becomes a real thing. Um, how do you, how do you address that? Well, so what's really interesting is I would say that in my cancer population in particular, there's always been a big interest in plant-based eating, right? Because we have a really large body of research that's always supported, you know, a a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, really, because all these foods have what are called phytonutrients, right? Which are the compounds in food that have really um, great properties in the body. So a number of my patients in general, 
cancer-wise are interested in that landscape. Obviously, on the spectrum of the cancer diagnosis, my patients who are very sick and having treatment-related side effects, we have to take a individualized approach with how you know much we push for these um, recommendations. Um, and then also too, like my GI patients, yes, I mean, there's a great body of research that um, supports the use the um, implementation of more plant-oriented meals for a number of GI-related disease states. So for example, um, inflammatory bowel disease, which is a large population I see, patients who are not going through a flare, for example, there is a big body of evidence that supports the use of a Mediterranean diet for these patients for maintaining remission. Um, and as we know, Mediterranean diet really kind of hones in on the principles of plant-based eating, right? They have a pyramid and the very bottom is like, make most of your meals from plants. And then it, as the hierarchy goes, it's less and less plant foods, right? Um, and so, yes, there's definitely ways that the use of a, a plant-oriented diet can be therapeutic and helping to support these disease states as well, too. It's really interesting because a lot of people really feel strongly that once they began on a plant-based diet, that it did become natural medicine, if you will, and help them just reorient their whole system. Um, and so... I think that's also for people who are not sick, that's that's a real draw as well. Yeah, I mean, I think what we have to remember is that ultimately when we pay more attention to our food, right? When we pay more attention to what we're putting into our bodies, if we start to incorporate more fruits and vegetables and naturally cut out more processed foods or fast foods or anything along those lines, we're supporting our body with more nutrients, right? We're providing our body with better food for the bacteria in our gut. We're providing our body with more stable energy and fibers. So yes, absolutely. The more we pay attention to our food, color our plate, by all means, we're going to have more support for just general health and wellness. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Life Alive's Brian Timko and Tufts Medical Center's Alicia Romano. We're talking all things plant-based food. Now, I want to circle back to something that uh, Brian mentioned right off the bat, which is about the products that are faux meat to make it you know, simple. There's a lot of it now, and it's expanding. Um, first, in case people are don't realize that Burger King really uh, invested quite a bit in this, here's a 2019 Burger King commercial advertising the chain's plant-based burger. This Whopper has no beef. That's impossible. This tastes just like a classic Whopper. No beef. Introducing the Impossible Whopper with a patty made from plants. I'm sorry? Tastes just like a Whopper. I've never had plant taste like beef before. Tastes like a Whopper. Tastes like a Whopper. Tastes like a beef burger. Like, I can't believe that was not beef. Lies! 100% Whopper and 0% beef. The Impossible Whopper, only at Burger King. So that's a big product at Burger King these days. I should mention that this month, KFC, the original chicken people, are uh, partnering with Beyond Meat to introduce something they called meatless fried chicken. So that's going to be on their menu, which is kind of mind-boggling to think about because both of these companies have, of course, created their whole brands around beef and chicken and not the faux kind. But, uh, Brian, as you mentioned earlier, there's been criticism about uh, a couple of things with regard to these foods, is whether or not the processing, actually, does not make it as healthy as it might be even though there is some advantage of not eating real meat. Um, so I'd like you to talk about how you feel about the growth, really, of this industry. And once people come in your space, are, are there people who are sort of doing both, 
the faux meat and the vegetables? Or are you seeing people who are more inclined to just go with the veggies? Well, Kelly, I mean, I would say that all press for uh, not meat is good press. <laughs> for okay. Not meat. All right. <laughs> so, so I think, uh, you know, people have uh, seen all these products in, in grocery stores now. And, uh, you know, like you said, at Burger King and pretty soon at KFC as well. Um, and so it's really getting uh, people's minds cued into, you know, hey, there's something else out there other than meat. Um, you know, I, I do think that the processing, you know, it's a big deal. There are compounds used in imitation burgers that are made to make these burgers look like they have that sort of blood redness to them. You know, they have just as much, if not more, of the saturated fats than a regular burger does uh, and the sodium that a regular burger does. But I think the real win for Americans over the long term is going to be uh, about real vegetables and real fruits and real grains and making those craveable. And a lot of that's going to just take education. It's going to take teaching around cooking methods. Um, I'm sure we all remember as kids growing up what it tasted like to have that bag of frozen cut green beans thrown in the pot of boiling water and then put on our plate as kids. You know, that's that's not exactly the, you know, the uh, the most craveable way to eat vegetables. And and so I think the the real win over the long term is going to be for those people in those restaurants and uh, those families and those teachers who can work with kids generationally and with us as, as adults to teach us how to create craveable meals using whole foods, again, with the lowercase w and, and f. That, that are craveable and that you want to eat and eat more of. I think craveable is a great word to use in this conversation. Um, Alicia, it's certainly because you're looking at the nutritional value of everything that your clients would be ingesting, what do you think about these products? Well, I want to start by saying, again, kind of like I alluded to before, how plant-based is now getting this like halo, right? This media whirlwind. And, and it's it's taking on this kind of... Uh, glamorized diets similar to what we've seen with like keto and Atkins and all these other things. So it's not uncommon to see now major food industries also latching on, right? So that's why these things are more apparent. Um, in terms of the nutritional quality and whatnot, um, I do think it's important to always acknowledge like accessibility when we talk about food in any way, shape or form, right? I like would love all my patients to be able to go to Life Alive, for example, because your food is delicious. Um, mm, it is. <laughs> but for some patients, that's not accessible, right? And so, yes, although like these impossible burgers and some of these options at some fast food chains are not necessarily going to be a level up in terms of giving you the real value of eating an actual carrot or kale salad or something along those lines, for some, for some individuals where this is really one of the... Um, one of the few things they do have access to that is a plant-oriented option, it may offer them some value in that way, shape, or form to reduce, you know, red meat consumption or something else along those lines. Do I think it's the healthiest food in the world? No, but health is also kind of, has many kind of interpretations and nuances, right? Um, and is very individualized. So I, I really hesitate to put a halo or, or kind of downplay the value of these things, because again, I think it can be a, a decent option for individuals that 
really don't have access to a lot of other great, reasonably quick plant-based options with the exception, obviously, of, you know, what they have in their home and their pantry. Mm-hmm. So I will note, because it's important to note that some people are, are turning toward a plant-based diet because of the environment, because of climate change. Mm-hmm. And there was a big report in October by a, a firm called Sustain Analytics that rates the sustainability of companies based on environmental, social, and corporate governance impact. And uh, the report said that Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods that we were just discussing do not disclose the total amount of greenhouse gas emissions, though they both claim on their websites that their products are better for the planet. That's, uh, I'm going to guess, probably true, better than beef and um, probably better than uh, chicken. But that is something for people who are thinking about moving to a plant-based lifestyle, not a diet, but a lifestyle, who are concerned also about the impact of climate to think about. Now... I want to ask the two of you a personal question. What does your daily plate look like? <laughs> Alicia, I'll start with you. Oh, wow. Okay. So my daily plate varies. I'm like, so I am very much a individual who believes that all foods fit. I follow that rule of thumb very strongly. So, I mean, I'm someone who loves to cook as well too. Plants are have always been something that have been on my plate. I was very fortunate to be raised in a family that really emphasized vegetables and cooking vegetables in a way that tasted good. So it's kind of inherently part of my day to always have color on my plate. But again, it's not necessarily a rule. So I don't know if I have a daily plate, but usually <laughs> there's there's color. I don't follow a completely vegan or vegetarian diet. I do eat meats and fish and poultry. Try to practice what I preach. I don't know if that's answering your question. No, but it is. It is. <laughs> and Brian, what, what does your daily plate look like? I'm fortunate in that I, you know, I have daily access to Life Alive and Life Alive's food. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my my favorite breakfast is actually a breakfast hash, mm. uh, which is a uh, tricolor quinoa with a cilantro lime vinaigrette uh, dressing mm. wow. <laughs> on it and uh, lightly sauteed and steamed vegetables, some sweet potato and onion and uh, green pepper and golden beets, a little bit of feta, and also oftentimes a sunny side up egg on top. <laughs> but I, I, I really try and, and, and put a, you know, a meal like that with uh, my whole lifestyle, which is uh, really pushing myself around movement, because it's really, I think about eating and movement coming together. Mm. In, in the next couple months here, actually, one of the things that we're uh, trying to do is here at Life Alive is called a happiness sabbatical. We've gone out and taken interest from guests to say, look, we're going to give you free food for the next eight weeks. And we're going to give you free yoga with our partners at Down Under Yoga. And we're going to let you and ask you to please uh, live the overall lifestyle, uh, be it on the food side uh, for your nourishment and on the on the movement side for your exercise and see how that uh, works together and and see how you feel Mm. after the, the next eight weeks. And we've gotten a lot of interest from folks. And frankly, I'm excited to uh, even apply for this myself, even though I think I'm going to probably be uh, excluded from the uh, <laughs> from the people who could win this. Oh, wow. Well, I like to say that um, I've always loved vegetables, even though I was one of those kids like you, Brian, that had those limp ones on my plate for a long time before my parents got into a different space about how to cook it. Uh, and that makes all the difference if it's craveable. Uh, but one of the uh, persons who's come along recently and and, and really talked about uh, veganism specifically as a part of the plant, plant-based lifestyle is Tabitha Brown. Tabitha Brown is a, 
a black woman. She's a chef. She's an actress. She's a social media influencer. And she's done a lot, I think, to get people to think about veganism specifically. Here's what she has to say about it. On a personal note, veganism means a healthier life, a happier life, a cruelty-free life. I used to think of veganism. When I would hear about it, I would say, oh, people who do that, honestly, God, I thought only white people did it. I was like, I had never met a, another black vegan when I was younger. I would hear about it and be like, I think as I got a little bit older, I used to think, oh, it's for hardcore animal activists. As I got more well-traveled, I started thinking, oh, veganism is that's a kind of for the cool kid. I don't know if you've ever seen any of her videos, but they're wonderfully enticing. And boy, she has influenced a lot of people to to think about veganism and plant-based a lifestyle, both as craveable and as something that is possible and accessible. All of the things that you that you all have mentioned is is really important as we have this discussion. So to wind up this talk, I'd like each of you to tell me what would you say or what would you advise someone who comes to you and is saying, all right. I'm going to do it now. Um, I'm impressed by what I've seen at Life Alive. I'm impressed by what I've heard from you, Alicia, and I want to take the first steps. How do they do that so they don't get turned off? And so it becomes, as you've said, Alicia, really a lifestyle and not, you know, just some popular trending diet of the moment. So a really important part of any kind of lifestyle or behavior change is trying to view things from a source of abundance, right? Because when we review things from a source of like how many things I have to take away from my diet, it makes us feel like we're on a diet, right? And it creates this rebound effect. So the way I would encourage individuals to approach this is take a look at your current meal pattern, right? What are your meals currently look like? Do I have color on my plate? Like, is that's a really good way to start? Is there even physically color on my plate in the form of a fruit or a vegetable? How am I getting my proteins? And then starting there, see what you can add right? What can I add to my plate to make it more plant oriented rather than again, starting with taking away. So say your breakfast is usually toast and eggs. Okay. So maybe what I'll do is swap to a whole grain toast. And then maybe I'll start to add a bowl of berries on the side. And over time, I'll start to add more plant oriented foods to my plate and start to downsize some of the non-plant ones. Start with one meal, just one meal, color your plate. Once you get there, start with your next meal color your plate. And that's a really good way to start. So you're not feeling like you have to overhaul everything right at the beginning. Again, that's really not how lifestyle changes work. And that's how I'd advise individuals to go through this. All right, Brian, what would you say? We like to live by just one more. You don't have to do everything all at once. Just try one more. You know, it's not an all or nothing thing. Hmm. I think that the numbers that you cited early on of 5% and the 10% of vegans or vegetarians as a small number of people who are committed now. And I know that this feels like it's very trendy in this moment, as you've said, uh, Alicia, and so we have to, you know, uh, pay attention to that. But I honestly think the influence is there and it's not going away. It's It'll be interesting to watch. And maybe I'll check back with the two of you in about a year or two and see what you have to say about um, who's vegan and vegetarian and plant-based now. How about that? Sounds good. <laughs> That sounds great, Kelly. Thank you both for joining me. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Brian Timko is the CEO of Life Alive Cafes, organic plant-based cafes in the Boston area, which have been open since the early 2000s. Alicia Romano is a registered dietitian at Tufts Medical Center, author, nutrition consultant, and fitness instructor. 
Coming up, ready to sip and savor? We hope you've brought your appetite. It's a new year, and there's an abundance of new foodie and wine trends that will be served up in 2022. It's our Food and Wine Roundtable. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. 